0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 9 and Exodus chapter 26, as we pick up where we left off, this will be the last weekend that we study the tabernacle because remember in Hebrews chapter nine, the tabernacle and the ordinances of worship for the old covenant is very important. And although Paul said he didn't have time to get into all the details, we have spent now four weeks giving a perspective of this portable tent of worship that was given to the nation of Israel. Now, when you think of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, in your mind, adjust your thinking to see them and view them as a group of God worshipers. Now, while we wouldn't call them the church, they are like us. They would be very similar to us as their devoted life was to worship God. And in their devoted life to worship God, God gave them... And instituted a covenant. And what have we learned so far? A covenant is an agreement between God. I mean, covenants are basically agreements between two parties. But when it's used in the Bible, covenant is an agreement between God and those that worship him. So we're looking at the old covenant. And then when we get back to Hebrews, we'll start looking at in more depth the new covenant. And in the old covenant, they had this tent. It was a portable worship space. They were, when they were to stop, they'd take it out, build it, and this is where God would meet them, dwell with them, and speak to them. And we'll get in. So pick up in, let's go to Exodus 26, and we'll pick up where we left off last time. And like I said, if you want to continue studying through the rest of Exodus, is all about the tabernacle, you can do that because we've already done that, and all those studies are online. But pick up in verse 31 is where we left off last time. It says you shall make a veil woven of blue and purple and scarlet yarn fine linen thread it shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim you shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold the hooks shall be of gold upon four sockets of silver you shall hang the veil from the clasps then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil the veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door, verse 36, of the tabernacle, woven of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen thread made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold, their hooks shall be of gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. God is into the details, and he gave very precise instructions of how this tent and the outer court, as we'll see in a moment, is supposed to be built. Not only the materials, but precisely how big, how long, how high. What was to be pure gold? What was to be overlaid in gold? What was to be silver? What was to be brass? Because remember, the tabernacle was a big picture of the coming of Messiah. And all of the pieces pointed to the Savior that was to come. So the veil, this veil was going to separate the... out. Now we're inside the tent at this point, And it's going to separate the priest and the high priest from where the Ark of the Covenant was. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was a box. At this point, it only had the law in it. But what was most important about the Ark of the Covenant wasn't the box, it was actually the lid. And we learned that the lid is also known as the mercy seat. And remember, the mercy seat, while the box was made out of wood overlaid in gold, the mercy seat was made out of pure gold and that's an important part as we get there and that's where once a year the high priest would come in and he would offer that blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement so that the sins of the people would be covered for one more year and the mercy seat we learn was a was a true type and picture of the true mercy seat they weren't to meet god in the box they were to meet god on the box they weren't to meet god at the law The law was actually given to them to reveal their need to meet with God. And they were not to meet in the box, they were to meet on the box. And even today, you meet God, you don't meet God at the law. The law points you to your need of God. And you meet God at the mercy seat as well. That through Jesus Christ, your sins and mine can be forgiven. So in this veil, this veil that's set up is made of the same material as the inner lining as the priest would go in. It's made of blue, and blue speaks of heaven. Purple speaks of royalty. Scarlet, of course, speaks for the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And fine linen speaks of humanity. So think of it, as the high priest comes into the tent, into the tabernacle, and comes to the veil, the very entrance to the Holy of Holies, the very entrance was through this veil, which was a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. And the the veil is pulled away, no longer needed today, because remember, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible speaks of the veil being torn in two, from top to bottom. Now that veil was in the temple. And as the veil was torn away, and of course the priests went back to make sure they sewed it back up, because they needed it for the separation, because Judaism continued. But for those that placed their faith in Jesus Christ, You and I, we get to go right in to the Holy of Holies. We don't go through a man. We don't go through a priest. We don't go through a building. We don't go through a religion. You go right through into the Holy of Holies by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point of Hebrews. If we kept hitting the same point over and over again, is that you have and I have all that we need by faith in Jesus Christ. There is no more to be gained by faith. It's all ours. And you know, the veil reminds us of a choice. There's a choice in all of our lives. We choose one of two things when it comes to God. We can choose to enter into a relationship by entering in by faith, or we can choose a religious expression where we just go through the motions and we send somebody else on our behalf. We trust a system. Instead of trusting a living God. I guess there's a third choice, and that is some of you are still in a place today where you have chosen just not to have anything to do with God. I mean, you're here, or you might be listening on the radio or online right now, so you're, you're, you're curious. Somebody might have invited you, but in your status of life right now, you want neither religion or relationship. You have chosen resistance or rebellion where you like your present life right now and you don't want anybody telling you what to do. And that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Like, I I think that's a word from the Lord for someone. Like, that's in your head. You're like, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Listen, people tell you what to do all the time. You drove here today, didn't you? And there was a big light. You saw it. There was actually three lights. And the one that said red, you might have blown through all of them but one. But every time you see a red light, it's telling you what to do. So do you yell red lights on your way to church? I hate you light, I hate you stop sign, I hate the law, I, I mean you don't live that way because here's the thing, you choose who you listen to. But people are telling us what to do all the time and it's wise for us because that red light actually is beneficial, it's actually good for you, the red light, you may not like it, you know, and by the way, maybe far less, you know, maybe most of you love red lights. Maybe some of you don't like the speed limit more. I guess I could say you hate, every time you go by the speed limit sign, you go, I hate you, speed limit. I'm gonna go as fast as I wanna go. But you know, that sign's for you. It's a benefit for you. You know, I don't understand how it could benefit me. I'm in a hurry. I gotta get somewhere fast. Yeah, but the person on the other side of the road or the person coming, you know, across at the intersection, the red light's good for you. Because when they see it, they're gonna stop and not hit you. Like mutual, you know, our whole world, our whole world works on mutual submission or mutual respect for one another. So that every time you do listen to the red light, every time you choose to, to obey the red light, you're respecting everyone else that's around you. You're honoring the fact that you're not the only one on the road. And I find it interesting because we live under that condition, but when it comes to the things of God, we just, call it, we just, you know, pro- proverbially, we just blow through the light all the time. But, but God's word and, and God's teaching is here for your benefit. It's actually for your benefit and those around you. To live the way that God designed you. To, to live the way that God desires for you. And so, yeah, maybe you feel like you don't want people to tell you what to do, but you live in a world where not only are you told what to do, but I'm sure that you tell people what to do. And the greatest response is to choose to obey, to choose to yield, to choose to acknowledge that you didn't create yourself, because it's far greater than just a red light, isn't it? Life is at stake here, your eternal life. What will you do with your life? Or better yet, what will you do after you die? Where will you go? What will you? How will you account for your life after you die? Because you know the reality is is that all of us will die. And the Bible the Bible teaches that after death you just don't cease to exist. You're like, well, you know, I just stop. I just cease to exist. No, no, you're going to have to give to account of your life before God, before your Maker. As we learn was learning on, on our study on Wednesday night. Uh, When we're looking at Daniel, we live in this environment with a secular worldview. And the the secular worldview that we live in is that there's no accountability, there's no creator, so go ahead and do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, because you'll never have to answer to anybody for your life. But that is a view that eliminates God from the equation. And we don't need to be super smart physics, you know, uh, knowing physics and science. We don't, we don't have to be, you know, have a PhDs, although some of you do have them and some of you are super smart, but we don't have to be to recognize that we did not create ourselves. Or better yet, you know, you're driving in and you kind of, you, you get, if you're, if you're heading west, especially up here on the hill, you can see the whole view of the Rocky Mountains. You didn't create those. You didn't make those. And whether there's snow on top of them or not, you didn't create the snow. Uh, where, where you live, yesterday we got a little bit of rain. I didn't make the rain. I wasn't up on the roof shaking water on our grass. I was just watching it happen. It was raining all over the place. And it just takes a little bit of common sense to acknowledge that there's intelligent design in you, in your body and the way you're made up and in your intelligence and your ability to think. You see, when you think of the tabernacle and these veils, they were always speaking symbolically to the people of God. The the color was very important. Speaking of the attributes of the coming of Messiah. When we step back today and recognize that when God, he tells them, I want you to build this The way I tell you to build it. Because I know some of you have emailed me and asked, but Ed, I don't understand the tabernacle. Did they really know that all of this stuff pointed to Jesus Christ? And the answer is no, they had no idea. They had no idea. They just did what God told them to do. And how many times have you been in a place in your life where you don't understand, but you obey instead? You don't understand. How many times we just find ourselves in places like I don't like this, I don't want this, I don't wanna respond this way, I don't understand what you're doing, God, I don't understand why you're allowing this. I mean, I I get some of the understanding in the Bible, but I, I mean, on a personal level, I don't understand. But God from the very beginning says, we don't live by understanding, we live by faith. Because if you wait your whole life for the understanding that will make you finally surrender your life, you're going to wait forever. And so they don't fully know that they're building the tabernacle, that it's all going to speak of coming Messiah. But they are obedient to what they know. And that's what God holds us accountable. We are accountable for what we know. And as God leads us, we want to follow the details too. Pick up in verse 1 now. We've got the different veils. Now we're going to go to the bronze altar. It says, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square. Its height shall be three cubits. You'll make its horns on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece. Uh, You'll overlay it with bronze. Verse 3, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, its shovels, its basins, its fork, its fire pans. All of it's going to be bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. Network, you shall make four bronze rings. as at four corners. You shall put under it the rim of the altar beneath. The network may be midway up in the altar. You shall make poles for the altar of acacia wood. Overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings. The pole shall be on two sides of the altar. You shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown to you on the mountain. So shall they make it now. You have the picture uh, of what it might have looked like. I missed my picture, so for you guys on the camera, hello. Sorry, I didn't mean to do this. I, ha- I needed it on my... So right there on the top corner, you have a picture of what it might have looked like. And you can see it's just a big, uh, a big box where the offering would be brought on and altered. The sacrifice would be offered. And then you've got the poles on the side and kind of what all the basins and everything would look like. And it's all made of bronze. So, so on the back now, flip it on the other side. Notice the large perspective of the area of the tabernacle as you approached from the east, as you came into the tabernacle from the east into the courtyard area, there was a fence seven and a half feet high. So there was a tall fence around it. It was about 150 feet deep or wide or long if you will and, and then a 75 feet wide, 75 by 150. And the first article that you would come in through the gate there you'll see was the brazen altar. And it was seven and a half feet squared, four and a half feet tall, made of wood, but overlaid in bronze or brass. This is where the priests would sacrifice the lives of animals there with blood, because it wasn't just once a year, there were sacrifices going on all the time. And if you want to study that in depth, it's all in Leviticus. Leviticus is the book that gives the instructions of all the details of how to worship God in the old covenant, on the Mosaic covenant. Leviticus. So one of them was the daily offerings. They had to bring daily sacrifices and that's where it would take place, right here on the bronze altar, on the brass. Why bronze and brass and not gold? Because bronze and brass symbolize judgment. This is where judgment would take place daily, on the altar of sacrifice. The judgment of trespasses, trespass offerings, sin offerings, meal offerings, all the offerings would be offered here where God would meet them. Now, the sacrificial lamb that was given when a lamb was offered, the animals were innocent. Remember, the animals coming were innocent. The the lamb never sinned, never made a mistake. Like The animals offered, the animals, I mean, animals in general are sinless. Except for cats, they're full of sin. (laughs) But every other animal was sinless. Any cat lovers in the house? I am not sorry. (laughs) Animals were sinless. And they were given in substitute, in substitute for the sinful. There's a technical phrase I want you to learn. You can jot it down. You might hear it. As you're reading commentaries, you might be hearing Bible studies, and I I want you to understand it, because it's very important as it points to Jesus Christ, and that is the animal served as a vicarious atonement, vicarious atonement, which is a fancy way of saying substitution. The animal substituted for the sacrifice of a human being, because God didn't ask for human sacrifice. God wasn't asking us to, wasn't asking in the Old Covenant or the New Covenant for human sacrifice. As a matter of fact, by the time we get to Romans in the New Covenant, what does God require of us? That we become living sacrifices. Not dead, but living. That our lives are dedicated toward Him in every area. And that we would sacrifice self on the altar but we have the privilege of living. So the animals coming to the brazen altar over and over again, and then once a year, the blood being spread in the Holy of Holies behind the veil was all in substitute for you and for me. And they were pointing to the permanent substitute because remember what John the Baptist said in John's Gospel, jotted down, chapter 1, verse 29, we learn that John looks at Jesus coming and what does he say? He says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that's one of the big issues with the Jewish believers that Hebrews was written to. Paul, when we get back to Hebrews 9 in our next study, he'll say that the old covenant was perfect and just and good, but it was limited in its abilities. It couldn't change a person. And as they lived in the Old Covenant, they had to keep bringing sacrifices over and over and over again. Every year. And in many cases, every day for the daily sins and their daily issues. But in the New Covenant, it's one sacrifice forever. Which is very important for the believer today because for the Christian follower, for the follower of Christ, your relationship with God is not dependent upon your performance you don't have to earn anything from God. Truthfully, you and I, we could never earn anything from God. The gift of life is undeserved. We use a Bible word to describe that. We describe that as the grace of God, that he reaches out to us in grace. And we don't have to bring animals. Like, we don't have a bronze altar here. You don't need to bring animals. If you did, we'd send you right back out the door. It'd be weird. You bring a goat up here and it says, oh, it's my emotional support goat, out. (laughs) We're not sacrificing it. Take the goat outside. I mean, it would be a mess because you don't need to bring. We would sit you down, hopefully, one of the brothers would sit you down with the Bible and say, we don't do that anymore. Enjoy your goat at home. We don't need to bring it here because you have a walk with the Lord now. He has sacrificed for you once and for all. You don't bring offerings like that anymore. You offer yourself. And so as you walked in from the east, you'd be met with the judgment. As as the priest would come into the tabernacle, as you would bring your offer, you would be met with judgment. That's all you could see. It would be right in front of you. It would be taller than you. You you wouldn't even, depending on how the angle you walked in, you wouldn't even be able to see the tent behind it. You'd be standing in front of the need for the judgment to come upon your sins and mine. And the animal will be offered, that innocent lamb taking the place of the judgment that God would put upon them. Now notice at the court of the tabernacle, verse 9. You shall also make a court of the tabernacle. For the south there will be hangings of the court woven of fine linen, 100 cubits long for one side, 20 pillars. 20 sockets of bronze, hooks of pillars, bands shall be silver, verse 11. The length of the north side, there'll be hangings, 100 cubits long, 20 pillars with their 20 sockets of bronze, the hooks, the pillars, which is 150 feet, as we mentioned already. And then along the width of the court, uh, the hangings of 50 cubits, the width of the court on the east side shall be 50. So it's 150 by 75. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits, and there are three pillars and there are three sockets. On the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits. There are three pillars, there are three sockets. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen thread made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars, four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50, And the height, five cubits woven of fine linen thread and sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for its service, its pegs, all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. So the outer court, as you see on the back of the flyer here, the outer court was filled with brass, silver, and wood. And it's interesting in the outer court because... The brass, you know, you start with the judgment, but as you get closer to the holy of holies, it gets more, there's more gold involved. So you start on the outer with judgment, but as you get closer and even into the holy of holies, you you see more gold. You see more beautiful tapestries. You see the inside with the angels, the cherubim. And then when you finally, like the high priest is the only one that could get into the holy of holies, then you get into solid gold. And isn't that like the pattern of a life that enters into a relationship with God? It starts with having an acknowledgement of your own judgment, your own sin, which is by far the hardest thing for people. It's, it's hard to admit that you're wrong. As you're sharing with people about their lives, inevitably the topic of sin will come up and you'll see it in their face, you'll see it in their body language. Sin is a very uncomfortable word. And it's challenging at times to get someone to acknowledge that they've sinned. I, you, you hear that word, you think it's just a Bible word, but it's a real devastating decision. Sin always destroys. But if someone doesn't want to talk about sin, I'm okay with that in the conversation. And it's okay. You're okay. it's okay for you to be okay with that. So we won't talk about sin to begin with. Let's just talk about mistakes. Oh, 99.9% of the time, I can get someone to admit that they've made mistakes. As a matter of fact, if, if on a good day, they'll say, oh, I've made so many mistakes, and, and they'll just be going on and on and on. Really? So so you're not perfect. No, I'm not, nobody's perfect. I know, so, so you made a lot of mistakes, some real serious ones. I made some real serious ones. Well, here's the deal. What you call mistake, God calls sin. And that's a holy moment. That's a holy moment. Because things begin to register in their minds that, you know what? I'm not a perfect person. And I have made mistakes. And some of those mistakes have hurt people some of those mistakes have hurt me. Some of those mistakes have hurt you. And you begin to see how intertwined we are. This whole court of the tabernacle, you would start with the judgment. You'll never get into the holy of holies until you acknowledge the judgment that's necessary, the reality of sin, the need for a sacrifice. And as you got closer and closer, there'd be more. Of course, there were things overlaid in gold. There was wood, humanity, overlaid in gold. Speaking of the the duality of, of the nature of Jesus Christ, both fully man and fully God. But then when you got into the holy of holies, you have the box, wood, overlaid with gold, but the lid is solid gold. And gold, speaking of deity that your greatest need having dealt with judgment having your sins judged your greatest need was right there at the mercy seat the structure for the children of Israel you you know remember this was a group of people that lived in slavery in Egypt they had no formality of worship They had no formality of of how to express their worship to God. They just knew God and lived through the oral traditions. But they weren't able to gather together. They weren't allowed to gather together. They didn't have their own belongings. They didn't have their own place. So this is a monumental time for them where now God has given to them through the resources of Egypt their own place. The place where they would gather. I forgot to ask Micah to do this. Maybe we'll do it next week. But there's, when, when the children of Israel camped, as they were moving through the wilderness, when they stopped and camped, the tabernacle would be in the middle and the tribes would camp around the tabernacle. It would be the very center of their lives, this structure. It would be a very center of their lives, this structure. But the way that they were allotted in camping actually forms a cross. How they were all laid out. So I'll have Micah print that out for us next week. Uh, And and you'll see that the tabernacle is going to be the central point. Just like God said, this is where I'll meet with you. This is where I'll speak to you. This is the central point. It wasn't the materials. Remember? Because the materials were very common and they look common. But it was the symbolism. It was the reminder. Jesus was at the center of the tabernacle, symbolized by the mercy seat, surrounded with humanity and judgment, surrounded with visions of heaven and redemption. And it was even greater and grander when they got to the temple for the people in the book of Hebrews. It just wasn't enough for them to live by faith. They wanted to go back to the formalities. They missed the pomp and circumstance of the temple. They felt pressure from their friends and family. They they were wondering, are we doing it right? We wanna go back to the rules and regulations because rules have a sense of keeping you comfortable. If Christianity really was just keeping 10 things, that's all we needed to do. You would live your life looking at that list every day. And then that list would also be an accuser to you, wouldn't it? Because you're not keeping 10 things every day. It's just going to be like, oh, I got eight this week. Great, but you only think of the two that you failed at. And then you're in competition. I did eight, you did seven. You're a horrible Christian, seven. I'm an eight. And then there's always the guy that comes in, well, I'm a 10. Yeah, but you're a liar, so now you're nine. You know, it's like, it would be all weird. And a list wouldn't comfort you. It would trouble you. A list would keep you from falling, it would keep you from, it would keep, you would fall short of enjoying the fullness of a real relationship with God. He doesn't have a relationship with us through lists and rules and formalities. It's by faith that God, he dwells in you. And now the center of your life is the mercy seat that lives inside of you. He's the very center of your life. And so the tabernacle was very important. As you get into the final piece in, uh, in chapter 27, in verse 20, it's you shall command the children of Israel uh, that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. This is your first time on this study. A few weeks ago, we looked at the different furniture, and the, one of the pieces of the furniture is the menorah, and the menorah needed oil in it constantly because it was the only source of light in the tabernacle and says in verse 21 in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil which is before the testimony Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord and it shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel so why don't we have a tabernacle today why don't we keep bringing oil why don't we have a big menorah as the as the permanent symbol of the light because Jesus fulfilled it all and if somebody comes and lays some trip on you and wants you to become Torah followers and, and, uh, and taking the messianic view of Christianity and bringing it to the extreme as you don't keep the feast, you don't keep the law, you're not a real believer, you can tell them, I absolutely keep the feast and I absolutely keep the law and then they'll come back with, so, well, you weren't with me at the feast last week or whatever it might be and you go, listen. They'll say, how do you do that? You say, by faith. Jesus has kept it for me. I'm not bound by all these things. I can enjoy them if I'd like. They're very meaningful and powerful and and very symbolic. If you want to build a little tabernacle in your backyard, go for it. If you do that, call me. I want to come see it. Maybe we'll do tours in your backyard before the association comes and makes you take it down. But if you want to do that, you're not restricted by it. But it, it doesn't replace Jesus. It would be nice and symbolic it would be wonderful it'd be kind of cool you could use it as a hands-on I mean if we build it maybe we could build it for the stage next time and I could just point over here and and say look at this look at this look at this and you can really see it than just black and white pictures but you don't need to why because you have a personal relationship with everything that the tabernacle pointed to we don't go back to shadows we don't go back to typology between the person and a picture, you always choose the person, I hope. (laughs) You choose the person. You don't hug the picture when the person's standing right in front of you. You hug the person. A picture's good while there's distance, but when you come back together, no longer do you need the picture because you have the person, you have the reality. And so the oil, oil in the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit. And so even in the tabernacle, there was a continual source of the Holy Spirit and remember, the menorah was the only place of light. And Jesus said that, I am the light. The tabernacle, and it's, as we summarize, the tabernacle had one door, one entry point, And Jesus said, I am the door. The tabernacle had one source of light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The menorah here had one stem. It was like one vine with branches coming out. And Jesus said that I am the vine and you are the branches. The, the bowls at the top of the menorah on each of the levels of the branches had to be continually filled with oil. Oil speaking of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And so you can see time after time, everything's pointing to him. Remember, salvation and peace was always made available at the mercy seat. Not in the box, but on the box. And that's how we meet Jesus today, on the cross, in the tomb, risen again. And so, Father, we are asking that as we look through these elements, I know reading through sometimes we wonder, why is all this in the Bible? And yet we know that you've reserved these things for us so that we might be continually reminded of your presence in our lives. And, and I just pray for those that are here today that, that like the stoplight thing is really a big deal for them. They don't like being told what to do. And that's how they approach you, God. They don't want God to tell them what to do or some man representing God or some woman teaching the Bible and don't tell me what to do. And I just pray you would soften their hearts, God, and give them the understanding of the reality of their need that they have made mistakes, or like the Bible says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all found great need to surrender our life to you. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that, that this would be the appointment of your life where you recognize that you have failed, but God hasn't. And that God has loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you personally, individually. That you don't need to bring a goat or an animal here today. Jesus Christ died on your behalf. And if that's you, I want to invite you to respond to the invitation that today would be the day that you experience life and the forgiveness of your sins. And so if that's you, I'm going to ask you right where you are, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer of what the Bible says that you get to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Today. Today is the day that God is calling you to himself. Or as the Bible says today is the day of salvation. That God he wants to save you. He's patient and long suffering. Not willing that any would perish. So maybe you're downstairs in the overflow watching on a tv or one of the family rooms but for the sake of you being here today if that's you we want to we want to participate and be happy with you that you make a public commitment to following God right here in this place and that's it's a choice it's a response anyone here God bless you here. It's what a glorious day. Is there anyone else that would say that's me? Today's the day. God bless you. And I really mean that when I say that. I mean it. God's blessings upon you. It's more than just a saying. That God would overwhelm you with his presence today. That you would not only know, but I also pray that you would feel the very presence of God that you would have both knowledge, that God would deal with the mind and the heart. So maybe you're online. I know a lot of people gather together around a screen to watch. It doesn't matter where you are. God hears and receives you. And so let's follow through with what the Bible says. I want to lead you in a prayer where you can talk to God directly, confessing out loud with your mouth, the belief that you have in your heart. So you can pray something like this. God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward. And I ask for your help, God, to turn away from my sinful past. That You would break me free from bad habits and bad thoughts and teach me what it means to live for and enjoy a relationship with you. And Father, anyone, anywhere that would come to you, God, you say you will not cast them away. And so I pray blessing and honor upon those that would turn to you today. Blessing and honor of those that would acknowledge that they need you. And blessing and honor, God, that from this day forward, life transformation takes place. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora.